Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today, I've got a really exciting episode, one that I feel like I'm going to learn a lot from and I think you should learn a lot from. I've actually got a sports psychologist in who specialises in the world of goalkeeping. I'd love to welcome Kaval Patel. Fingers crossed after today I can maybe bust a few myths and uh, change your perception on things. Professionals don't ever really talk about what they go through on the pitch. You avoid fear yeah. because the fear is making another mistake. So yeah. You do everything in your power to avoid that from happening again. Mindset is the one thing that separates the guys at the top from the guys below. You can enjoy playing in front of big crowds and enjoying that aspect of the game and all the, the money and the, the fancy cars and everything that comes with it. On the flip side of it, the level of sacrifice and the level of dedication and discipline that you have to have is, is mesmerizing. It's a dogfight. You can be the best friend of the other goalkeeper because of the goalkeeper's union. We will treat each other with respect. Yep. But when we're out on that grass, me and you aren't friends. We are competing for that shirt. What a save from Mark Howard. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Yours Mine Away podcast with me, Mark Howard. Today, I've got a really exciting episode, one that I feel like I'm going to learn a lot from, and I think you should learn a lot from. I've actually got a sports psychologist in who specializes in the world of goalkeeping and golfers, which is another one of my keen aspects. Uh, I'd love to welcome uh, 
Kaval Patel, welcome, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good, mate. Thanks for having me on the show. No, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, as I said to you off air, uh, I've always been, uh, I've never used a psychologist myself, so I've always been a little bit sceptical, but uh, I'm really excited to, to see what you can uh, impart on me and obviously vice versa, the, the knowledge that I have of the game impart on you. No, 100%. I think you're probably right to be sceptical as well. It's a weird world that most people don't understand. I'm still learning about it myself as you go on that journey, but fingers crossed after today, I can maybe bust a few myths and uh, change your perception on things. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I think you will. Uh, you've got your own podcast as well. Uh, you've got your, the Goalkeeper's Mindset podcast. Can you just tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, so I started the podcast in, in lockdown when no one could really go anywhere. And I just started interviewing goalkeepers. Like I love goalkeeping myself. I am one. And I just started interviewing, reaching out to my network and interviewing goalkeepers, professional goalkeepers, guys in the uh, National League, non-league, and just talking about mindset. Like I think it's one thing that's never really been spoken about in the world of goalkeeping, which is the psychology behind it. And I uploaded some clips onto Instagram and Twitter and you know, people kind of resonated with some of the stuff that was being said because I think professionals don't ever really talk about what they go through on the pitch. They don't talk about Not the struggles. Honestly. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's a stigma thing, isn't it? You yes. don't want to like show off or portray weakness to people. Yeah. So you're worried that if you share that with people, they're going like, to latch onto that or, or use that as a way to get at you in games maybe or in training. So I started the podcast to kind of give people that insight into the mind of a goalkeeper playing in front of whether it's 1,000 people or 80,000 people. And it grew from there. And uh, yeah, now I find myself here sat with you. Yeah, no, honestly, <laughs> uh, I've listened to quite a few of them and that. And uh, what I would say is that I've really enjoyed listening to them because it... It's more about you listening to people, other people's steps than you telling people how to do it, where I always thought that like uh, someone in psychology would analyze you and then come back to you and say, right, you need to change this about what you do. This isn't right. You've said that, but do you mean that? And I've always been a bit skeptical on that sense. But when I've listened to you, it's the absolute opposite. You're just listening in and you're asking the right question to get the right bit of information to find out that personality. A hundred percent. I've always been of the opinion, particularly when I work with goalkeepers, it's not about telling, it's about guiding. So if there is a better way of seeing a situation, and I know there might be a better way from, from my lived experience as well, rather than telling them what to do, you ask questions in a way which might help them see things from a different perspective. And I think in any walk of life, whether it's goalkeeping, outfield players, golf, or even just general life itself, there's always different perspectives and different ways of looking at things. And if you can guide someone to see something in a different way, you might completely change their outlook on the entire situation. I mean, we, before we started recording, we spoke about mistakes, didn't we? About how my, my take on dealing with mistakes might be different to yours and how, I'm sure yeah. we'll dive into this, but yeah. th throwing the stone away. Yeah. And I love that because it's like a, a, it's a metaphor, isn't it? The stone's a metaphor for taking the weight away off your shoulders. Yeah. And I love that stuff and I, I promote that. So, yeah. But that's different. That's not something that I would have thought about. Yeah. So that doesn't make me wrong it doesn't make you right or vice versa it just means that we've all got different ways of dealing with things because we're human beings yeah and, and we've all got voices in our own heads we all think about everything what we do we all analyze everything that we do uh more some people just more critical uh, against themselves than others uh, as we were saying before like i've got my own coping mechanisms that i've used for my whole career and they seem to have worked and i've managed to to forge a bit of a career and 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 build on that and manage to just impart a bit of calmness because everyone can rely on me that even if I do make a mistake, it doesn't really phase me. I'll just crack on. And uh, I think that that's like, obviously in goalkeeping, that's the hardest thing to learn, but it's also, there's always room for improvement in that. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I did a workshop recently with like a group of goalkeepers and the one question that everyone wanted an answer to was dealing with mistakes. 
because it's like the loneliest thing that can happen on a football pitch. I mean, when you concede and you make a mistake, everyone walks up, everyone's by the halfway line and you are a good 30 or 40 yards away from everybody else. And you can feel those eyes on you as well. Oh, One million percent. There's no hiding places. And you know it from, from the level that you're playing at. And again, we spoke off air about the fans behind the goal and, and the booing and all of those, those shouts. And those shouts then start to cloud that, that language that you talk about in your head, that self-talk. And then all of a sudden you've got that spiral of negative thinking. Am I good enough? They're telling me that I'm not good enough. They're saying horrible things to me. Maybe, maybe I'm not, I don't deserve to be here. Maybe I'm not good enough to play at this level. And then that, that takes itself out and it's in the performance. You start changing the way that you create supporting angles. You start changing your start position. You start parrying more than you catch. You play safer. 100%. You avoid fear. Yeah. Because the fear is making another mistake. So yeah. you do everything in your power to avoid that from happening again. And I find it fascinating. Like you watch guys at the top level, how when they're under pressure or when they're being scrutinized, the decision making changes. Like we just said about those like avoidance behaviors, that safety behavior, they'll parry more than they catch. And I'm not, I'm not going to say names, obviously, but you just watch Premier League football and you can see it every single week. And it's almost a case of like, okay, they're operating at 90% because they're in the top 1% of goalkeepers in the world. Yeah. What if we got them to play with freedom? What if we got them to deal with the crowd, the manager, the negative opinions? How far could they really go? How good could they really be? And I think that's where people like me come into the equation. It's like, you're operating here, but you could be operating there. And that difference could be the difference between you playing in, again, respectfully, the National League or playing in League One or the Championship. Yep. And that's the difference. It's not, from my experience anyway, from a technical and tactical point of view, guys in the Prem and the Championship, they understand the game to a similar level. And technically, they can compete at a similar level. Yep. But mindset is the one thing that separates the guys at the top from the guys below, I think, from my perspective. I don't know what you think about no, that. No, I, I totally agree that... Uh even myself, if you put me in a training session with uh, some of the top Premier League goalkeepers, I, I could hold my own. I wouldn't be as good as them in all aspects, but some of them I would be. And uh, like it, regarding like handling, I reckon I could catch as many as Edison catches in training, but I physically can't do what he does. And I also haven't got the bravery and the backing to play the style that he plays. Uh, and I think that does come from different comfort levels. One of the biggest ones would be financial. Mm. Uh, someone like Allison or Edison, uh, they can afford to make mistakes because they haven't got the, the, the worry of paying a mortgage. And I think that's a, a huge weight off their mind compared to someone playing in the National League that knows that it could be their last game if they make a mistake and they, or they, they, they might not be able to pay that bill at the end of the month if they're not starting every week. And I think that that's the biggest noticeable difference in football and goalkeeping is that the higher up the leagues, they can play with that freedom and less pressure mm. because they haven't got that worry in the background. That makes sense. Yeah, I can I can see what you're saying in that in that sense. And I think touching on the two guys that you've just mentioned there, I think as well from a management perspective, they're obviously playing for two very well respected managers who have basically in the interviews they've openly said. I don't care if my goalkeeper makes a mistake with the ball at his feet. I'm giving him the license to play because the goalkeeper is central to the way that we're going to build out from the back. And if you watch those two teams, they are absolutely central to creating space, creating overloads, yeah. you know, imbalances in the opposition. They're massive on that. I mean, you watch them play and pass. I mean, some of the passes they do are just ridiculous. It's unbelievable, yeah. Like the passing to midfield are just crazy. But you go further down, National League, you know, maybe Ryman Premier Division, managers are under pressure every single week because that club winning that three points is a difference between the club earning 100 grand or being relegated and going yeah. bust. 
and bigger clubs don't necessarily have that worry. So I think that also plays a role as well, the pressure that the manager puts on the goalkeeper because it is a more scrutinised position now. Yeah. Also, uh, playing, I found it easier in my career, playing in front of larger audiences. Really? Uh, only because it's muffled noise, it becomes white noise. Oh, yeah. So the, if you play in front of 50,000 people, you can't hear an individual shout. Where when last year when I was playing in the National League, you hear everything that everyone says. Mm -hmm. And it becomes more personal. But in the bigger stadiums, on the bigger stages, it's just noise. And I think that that plays a huge part in a, a goalkeeper psychology in, in, in our mindset. It's like, if I can just hear a general booing, that could be for anyone. But if I hear someone shout my name personally and slate something like about how I play or about me as a person, I'm like, I heard that. Yeah. And that's a different, like, that's trying to evaluate a goalkeeper in the Premier League compared to a National League. So different. Have you, have you found it challenging then adapting to the bigger grounds? Because... You've obviously gone from playing in the National League where the crowds are significantly smaller. How have you adjusted to the new environments and I suppose the increased demands of the level as well? Because it might be slightly faster, more physical, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of my career in League One, League Two. So naturally, I found it, it easier playing back in League Two this year. Mm. Compared to last year, it actually opened my eyes and I didn't realise how tough it would have been dropping down levels. And uh, I found that the drop down surprised me more than going up. Uh, I think that especially we've got an unbelievable squad at Wrexham that we're all used to playing at a higher level so some of the grounds last year surprised us how bad they were or like the the hostile nature they would have surprised us more last year than this year because we've got an experienced team that's more is more used to playing at higher levels yeah and I, and I was exactly the same honestly my first five games last year I made a two or three mistakes in games I was like that's so uncharacteristic but I think the 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 level of players, but the level of refereeing surprised me. The, the, the away grounds, they all surprised me. Uh, and that took a while to adjust to. But at the end of the day, like that's all self-improvement anyway. And you, you do adjust to your, your own background and your own scenarios. It's interesting you mentioned about the two or three mistakes, though, when you drop back down the level. Because I think the expectation for most people... In find it easier. Exactly. So let me ask you, why, why, did you, why did you perhaps struggle to maybe adapt back down to the level as opposed to some goalkeepers struggling to maybe adapt going up a level? I think uh, probably before I signed for Wrexham, I was at Carlisle and the year before at Scunthorpe, I was in relegation fights every week. So I got used to uh, just keeping the ball out of my net. Mm. So then when you then sign for a team that should be at the top of the league and uh, there's more emphasis on if you make a mistake, like you need your teammates to bail you out. But if you're at a team at the bottom of the league and you make a mistake, you're probably going to lose the game regardless. But you gave it a good go, you know what I mean? So I think that that took a little bit to adjust to. Uh, it, I found the standard of refereeing, like in the, in the league, in league football, you get protected more as a goalkeeper. You come for crosses, you get a little bit more protection. You drop to National League, the ref don't blow his whistle because he just don't want any part of it. And that, that surprised me. Yeah. Uh, the the refereeing situation is definitely a factor. I think maybe the pitches as well. I mean, when I speak to goalkeepers on a one-to-one -one basis, the conversation they might have with you know, a Premier League or a Championship goalkeeper is very, very different when we're talking about certain topics compared to you know, a non-league goalkeeper. Because the pitches, for example, the conditions, I mean, we've both played in non-league, you much higher, higher up than me, but you know when you turn up to a pitch and you see you know, a waterlogged goal mouth or bumps in the pitch. Grass this long. Yeah, and the ref's dropping the ball and it's just staying yeah. in the ground and you're going, I don't fancy this today. This, yeah. is, this is horrendous. But 
at the top level, they might not necessarily have to deal with that. Whereas in non-league, you've got to get yourself up for those games because yeah. there's three points on the line. Yeah. And for me, I found that really, really challenging when I was, you know, growing up as a kid, because in my head, the vision I'd always have had of football is playing on lovely pitches, deso pitches, you know, in front of the lovely fans who are all cheering for you. Yeah. But the reality is when you get into football, it's just nothing like that at all. Yeah. And it's so for me anyway, I found it really hard to do. Cold deal and with. grim and dark. It's not <sighs> it's not colourful and bright green pictures and colourful kits everywhere. It's not and the same. Exactly. And it's you know what, it's progressively got worse over the years. I think when you're a kid, you overlook so much stuff. You you just love being out there with your mates or with your team and yeah. flying around the goal, making saves, getting muddy. As you get older, you start to analyse and think about the game a lot more and it becomes more like a job as opposed to just something that you enjoy doing. And you start to think about, oh, it's minus one outside. It's cold today. It's going to be, you know, when you breathe, it's going to be frosty or when you're diving, it's going to hurt that little bit more. And you're more conscious of your injuries and you're just more conscious of everything and you overanalyse everything. And I think that takes away the enjoyment factor. I don't know what you think. I've got a contradicting theory to that. So when I first started playing in goal... And, and realized I was good. I then saw goalkeeping as my job. At, mm. I think I was nine years old when I called myself a goalkeeper. Wow. But I played football, I did athletics, I did karate for fun. So every time I stepped in goal, I was at work and I had to learn and I had to get better. But everything else I did, I'd play out in field. I'd play out, well, I played out in field for my, my school, my borough, my county, I played centre back. But when I played for Arsenal Academy, I played as a goalkeeper and that was my job. And I had that philosophy. And as I've got older, football's become more fun because I feel like I've like Benjamin buttoned it. I feel like I, I work so hard to get to where I am. I should now be reaping the benefits and enjoying how I play and why I play. And uh, I felt like that. I had that mindset from really young. But I knew that I didn't know that I was ever going to make it. But I knew that if I was going to try and make it, it had to be work from from that age. Mm. And it's interesting you say that because a lot of people go the other way. They really enjoy their youth and they really enjoy the academy football, the tiki-taka kind of stuff and making tidy saves and nice, neat technical sessions. And then they get into men's football, whether it be non-league or, or professional. And it's literally about keeping the ball out of the net, dealing with the day-to-day -day politics and bullshit that football presents to a lot of people, goalkeepers especially. And it becomes a job yeah. for some of them. It's like, wake up on Monday morning, right, training, go home, recover. Tuesday, training, go home, recover. And for a lot of guys operating at the top level and, and people at home probably won't be able to relate to this because they only see the end product, which is the game, but it is to them a job. Like the, the mental tax of being, like we spoke about this before, being in a hotel on Christmas day, boxing day, having to get yourself up for a game when you know all your friends are in front of the TV watching you or watching another game, yeah. you know, New Year's Eve, being in a hotel or you know, not being with your family, all these key moments, which probably get exacerbated when you have kids as well, mm. you miss out on all of that stuff. Yeah. And I think it's all well and great us talking about playing in front of 80,000 people or being an international. But what about all of the sacrifice that you have to make to get to that point? And it's a yin and a yang for me. Yeah. You can enjoy playing in front of big crowds and enjoying that aspect of the game and all the, the money and the, the fancy cars and everything that comes with it. But... On the flip side of it, the level of sacrifice and the level of dedication and discipline that you have to have to operate at the top level is, is mesmerizing. Mm. And watching the guys do it every single day is just fascinating. I don't know how they do it, but they manage to do it. But then on the contradiction to that, I yeah. would say that um, 
the dedication that we've had to give up, why would we complain about training on Christmas Day now? Because we've gone through the hard bit. So to get to wherever you are now, whatever level you end up playing at, to then say you're training on Christmas Day and then throwing your arms up in the air and going, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to see my kids for two hours. You've given up so much already. Like, why complain about that now? Just crack on and just like, try and make the most of the career because it's so short anyway. You may as well just go, well, this might be an enjoyable experience, actually. Training on Christmas Day might be fun. And you, you have to try and like, turn a negative into a positive the whole time. But it's easy said than done. And I totally get that. But I think that becomes easier with age anyway. That I've, Like I said, I, I feel like I've reversed engineered what I did because that worked for me. And it still works for me to this day, obviously still playing now at 37. And it's amazing listening to you saying that because as soon as you said that, the first thing that came to my mind was being out there on the grass with the lads, coming in after training, maybe being covered in mud and what whatnot. And you've had a great session, a good blowout. It's Christmas Day, you're all together. You're in the canteen. Maybe there's a Christmas dinner on. And it's that sense of togetherness that, yeah. that you might enjoy yeah. and those, th that feeling of just being with other people who are in the same situation as yeah. you. So I can see that. And that, that's a really healthy way to look at it because I think the enjoyment factor is how you get through those tough moments in football. And I think if you ask a lot of players, either goalkeepers or outfield players, they remember the good times more than they remember the bad times. Yeah. And that's why everyone aspires to play professional football because of the stories yeah. that you get from having a life in the game. No, oh, I totally agree. Right, uh, we're going to move on a little bit, right? So we're going to go back to my quick fire questions. Yeah, uh, it's only a couple of stupid goalkeeper questions, but then we can then get into your your own playing career. So, uh, catch or parry? Catch. Favorite goalie kit color? Oh, Schmeichel retro '99, multicolored one. Multicolored, yeah, yeah, nice. The grey with the red and the blue, on yeah, it, and the black padding down there, nice. With the sharp on the front yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I remember Proper. that kit. Uh, play out from the back or kick it long? I wish I could play out, so kick it long, but I'd like to play out. <laughs> yeah. uh, who's your favourite ever goalkeeper? Edwin van der Sar. Yes, finally. Someone's <laughs> agreed with me. I love that. Uh, long sleeve shirt or short sleeve shirt? Long sleeve. Yeah, old short. school. Yeah. Did you pull them up a bit or Under Armour underneath? Or? Under Armour underneath always, yeah. base layer. And then a slight roll up, so there's a little bit of yeah, skin showing. Joe there. Hart kind of vibes. Yeah, nice. I like that. Right. Um, who's the best goalkeeper in the world right now? <sighs> For me, Edison. Edison just everything about how he plays football he can save it he can catch it and his distribution is aimbot and his mentality ah oh, acceptance yeah. fearless just plays yeah absolute vibes like you said earlier having pep behind you must help like yeah right uh, head tennis or two touch head tennis yeah. extreme head tennis yeah 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 two boxes side by side 2v2 yeah three touches between the pairs big money on it yeah nice I'm I like that, that. Right, and then uh, it's the last minute of a game. You can save a penalty to win the game or you can go up and score a goal. What are you doing? Save a penalty to win the game. Yeah? One million percent. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to score. I've never scored. <laughs> Neither have I. Yeah? Neither have I. Still I'd think like... saving a penalty in the last minute to... It's what you do, and it? It's your bread and butter. It's like... I think it's the odds. When the odds are stacked against you, it just feels so much better. Yep. I, that's what I feel anyway. Yeah. I'm sure some people agree, uh, disagree with me, but that's just, that's just my view on yeah, it. Yeah, nice. Oh, fair enough, right. Uh, as I said, uh, I've got some goalkeeper questions for you. Uh, when did you realise you was a goalie? Oh, you know what? I was playing Sunday League and I was in a team at Harris St. Mary's. I'll definitely shout them out because it was a great club. And we had some good lads in there um, who were attached to academies. I think Chelsea, Chelsea and Arsenal were the two main ones where all the lads were kind of going to when they got to under nine level. So I couldn't get in the team. I was a striker, a terrible striker at that <laughs> as well. And uh, I just couldn't get into the team. So my dad... My dad played in goal when he was younger and um, he played for Aberystwyth Town. 
kind of when they were, you know, I'm talking years ago yeah, when yeah. they were like back semi-pro, not even semi-pro kind of level. And he said, go in goal. I said, okay, fine. But the A team had a really good goalkeeper. He was on the books at Chelsea. So I went in goal for the B team and I played in this game. And I just remember diving around in mud, you know, saving the ball, shouting and screaming at people. It was raining, pissing down with rain. And I absolutely loved it. And in that game, I saved two penalties. And it was, I just remember that feeling. The that admiration that everyone had for you. Yeah, and it was like, well done. I thought, you know what? This is better than any goal that I've ever scored. And I thought, maybe I'm at the wrong end of the pitch. Maybe I actually belong here. Yeah. And I remember feeling different. I felt different to other people on the pitch. I felt special because I had gloves on. No one else did. I had, um, do you remember the old school Tim Howard kit, the grey one from yes, Man United? Did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My dad bought me that because I'm a massive Man United fan and I wore that in all my games. So yeah. I felt like Tim Howard. Yeah. And at that game, there was a Chelsea scout there. Now I'm from South Asian heritage and the A-team goalkeeper was also South Asian as well on the books at Chelsea. So that scout called up the dad of the A-team saying, oh, your son had a really good game. We're really looking forward to having him in at the academy. And the dad said, that wasn't my son that played in that game. Oh, no way. And that's kind of how I fell into a, a mistaken identity. But... Literally, literally. So and then did you then get a follow-up phone call from that? I did, yeah. I got invited to train with Chelsea yep. and I had an initial one-week trial, which I thought went quite well and yep. they saw something in me. It's probably something to do with the fact that I was a really early bloomer in terms of my height. I was a good like foot taller than everybody yep. else. It really helped me. And um, I ended up extending my trial for around six months um, got to six months, got to the six month mark, um, and they didn't offer me anything, probably because I wasn't technically where I needed to be, and my mindset wasn't there. I was just happy to be at Chelsea. I saw, my, I already seen myself, visualised myself with the kit on, yeah, 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 and I wasn't actually signed. So that was my first learning curve in football of applying yourself, working hard, and never getting comfortable with where you're at. Yeah. So I got released from there, and it was the most harrowing experience of yeah, my so life. Ask, getting released is horrible, <sighs> but. I was speaking to a goalkeeper the other day, a young goalkeeper that plays out in Ireland, and uh, he had a setback recently. And I was like, honestly, the setbacks make you stronger. They honestly do. Because you, they prepare you for how like, real life is and how football gets, gets worse because the setbacks are harder to take. Now, obviously, at such a young age, at that moment, you don't realise that like, it's probably for the best long term. Yeah, and I, I think it's all about stacking experience. And I always think about stacking experience. So Chelsea, the learning point for me was wherever you are, you have to work. Football is a business and you are a number. I know we talk a lot about player well-being now, but you are still a number and you are replaceable at any stage. So Chelsea, that was the learning point. I then went to Watford and spent two years at Watford. Great experience. Nick Cox was my uh, academy manager. He's now at Man United. Yep. Great learning environment. But they brought another goalkeeper in to my age group when I was kind of the established number one. And it was just me and him competing. And that was the first time I learned how to officially compete with a number two and a number one. And I came out the wrong side of that and I ended up getting released. Yeah. So then I realized from Watford, the second learning point is whenever, whatever club that you're playing for, it's a dogfight. You can be the best friend of the other goalkeeper because of, of the goalkeeper's union. We all treat each other with respect. Yeah. But when we're out on that grass, me and you aren't friends, we are competing for that shirt. And I, I learned the hard way because I got released. I yeah. got comfortable saying oh no you do two more or finish on the save yeah, yeah. It's like i should have been i'm going to score in the top corner every single time and make sure that i'm playing saturday yeah i didn't have that mindset so i stacked that level then i went to wickham signed at wickham and wickham i think for the guys that i work with there they'll all attest to this it was the most unbelievable learning environment that i've ever been involved in um i signed at under 13s 
Um, by under 14 slash 15s, I was training with the first team um, with Martin Brennan, yeah. really good friend of mine. And um, it was just unbelievable. I mean, you had Nicky Ball there who played four or 500 like, games in yeah. one league in the league. Matt Ingram is obviously now at Hull. Yeah. Jason Mooney, who was the um, tallest goalkeeper in Europe at one stage, who went out to play in Ireland. Um, Steve Arnold, who's obviously had a great career Steve in the Arnold, league. Yeah. Like, you just had four or five goalkeepers who were really, really good to learn off in terms of what it takes to be a goalkeeper, the mentality. Different abilities as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, different styles. I mean, yeah. Stevie's a massive lad, but he can move himself yeah. really fast. Matt Ingram was really agile and neat. Jason Mooney would come for crosses because of his height and his kicking was great. And Nicky, Nicky for me, is probably the best matchday goalkeeper I've seen in League One, League Two, from, from what I've seen live. Because yeah. he could turn up on a match day, do three volleys or four volleys, get warm and play and be man of the match. And there's me going into my game on a Saturday thinking I've got to do an hour and a half warm up. I've got to have you know clean gloves, brand new gloves, brand new boots. He would just turn up and play because yeah. that's what he'd been exposed to. Yeah. So it taught me that nothing has to be perfect in goalkeeping. It's a game of imperfection. Yeah. And just on my journey, like at different points, I learned different things that kind of stacked up. And I got to, got to Stevenage and I felt like I was complete. And then I had two really, really hard years um, in my scholar at Stevenage. I was a part-time scholar doing A-levels at the same time. That's, that's tough. Yeah, it was. It was really, really tough because you have to balance your time. Yep. And I was in one day or two days a week. All the lads were kind of getting ahead of me and stretching me. I wasn't so they really... would have been on their BTEC national courses? Yeah. And for me, that was never an option because yeah. I, I always wanted to plan B. And thank God I did because otherwise I wouldn't be here with you know the psychology stuff. Yeah. But I just remember it was tough. Like I think anyone who went through a scholarship Back, back like 10 years ago, nine years ago, it was a lot different to what it is now. You know, scrubbing six sets of boots, being out in the cold, clearing pitches, you know, punishment runs if you lost on a Saturday. I think those things really make you the person that you become yep. and you build that resilience. Yep. But because of the background that I came from and, you know, the life that I had, you know, that my parents had given to me, doing all that stuff was kind of like, oh my God, this is a shock to the system. Yep. It really hit home hard. And I fell out of love with the game. For, for quite some time, yeah. ended up going and playing school football. And then... Did you find that your coaches at Stevenage at the time treated you differently because you was trying to better yourself education-wise? I don't want to say they did, but I think they did. Looking back Obviously, on it... if you're not there as much as the other players, they will treat you slightly different because they haven't seen you as much of the week. They don't know your personality as much as they've learned the others. Like, uh, uh, for me, looking at it straight away, I know in football, you do get treated differently for that. Mm trying to better yourself which is crazy and i think football is adjusting to that and they are trying to make everyone better now it's, it's more of a universal thing which is for the better but at that time it would have been a lot different it, it, you know what it was and even in the dressing room i didn't feel ostracized but i would definitely say i felt left out at times because all the lads would be talking about stuff that happened on maybe monday or thursday when i wasn't in and i would just kind of be in the corner being that kind of part-time guy who turned up, did a bit of training and then went home. Because they were all together all the time, I was kind of the person that just tagged along. I was almost like a an extended trialist. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that. It sounds that way, that you would have been a trialist, but you was contracted. Yeah, and I had, I had the kit, I had the registration forms. I was a Stevenage player, but I never felt part of that group. And I think when you walk out onto the grass and you feel that way, and this is where the psychology started to come into my head, you, you do things in games, and when things go wrong, you feel like the finger's being pointed more at you. 
because you never felt part of that unit anyway. They haven't got your back. Yeah. And I never, I don't think I ever got to a point where I felt comfortable playing in, in that team. I was there and we had some great times there with the guys. I'm still in touch with a few of them, but I never felt connected. And, you know, we talk about motivation and we talk about confidence so much in goalkeeping. Confidence and motivation come from connection and relationship to the group and the, the, the line of work that you're in. So when you have those two connection points or you don't have those two connection points, that influences everything that you do on the pitch and your response to those things. But look, I had some great experiences there. FA Youth Cup third round against Wigan. I was under under 16 at the time. I got to play in it at, at the ground, managed to get a win, and we ended up going to Oakwell. Like, you know, you do get some great moments as yep. a scholar, but for me, it was definitely more of a test as opposed to, you know, something that I really thrived in and enjoyed. Yep. I reckon that made me stronger for the for the better of it. And it was obviously doing your A-levels and that you, were, you went into psychology. Did you always know that that was the route you was going down? Is that because of the life experience as well of the setbacks from Chelsea and Watford and Wickham? Yeah, it was. I knew at 16, if my, my playing career didn't pan out the way I wanted it to, because I was still dead set on being a, a professional footballer, I wanted to be a sports psychologist. I knew. And I remember uh, one of the coaches asked me, he said, you know, he went round the room and said, you know, what do you guys want to be? And every single person said a footballer. And I said, I'd just like to play at the highest level that I can. And I think when I delivered that answer, I knew in my heart, maybe professional football wasn't going to be the career for me because yeah. I think you can have other talents and abilities, but you do have to have a le certain level of focus when you're in the system yeah. to forge a career in the game. Yeah. You have to have that drive and that passion to get to where you want to get to. And I think by the time I got to 17, 18, I just don't think I had it as much as other people did. I still had it, yeah. but not at the level that was required. Yeah. Because my eyes were being turned towards, you know, the idea of, you know, working for myself or helping other people and giving back to, to, to the goalkeeping community and the football community. And those things interested me more than just turning up on a Saturday and, you know, going through my week and preparing. So I think going back to your original point about if I knew at 16 what I want to do absolutely I, and I wouldn't change it for the world now yeah but see look I now look at it and go on it's amazing that you had that insight because a lot of footballers now do their apprenticeships and they do their scholarships and they get to 17 or 18 they get released and it's like what now and it's like a it's a big world out there and it opens their eyes and they're scared of it and that's where you get a lot of problems almost and obviously People chase that career and they chase the dream, but like you had that insight to go right. Well, just in case, I'm going to do it from early, and like full credit, that's amazing that you actually did that. But again, do you reckon that hampered your career massively, 100%? And I have no shame in saying that, and I don't want to send the wrong message to people because no, it's amazing though. You should have a plan B. Yeah. I think you should, but it did hamper me as well because I didn't have the balance right. When in pre-season of my second year, um, it was me and the other goalkeeper competing um, for the number one shirt. I actually had the shirt for the first, I think, six weeks before school started. I was in an absolute flow. You know that state of mind where you get into where you're in a game and things are just happening off instinct. You're playing passes without thinking about it. You're making saves. You're catching stuff. You feel a million dollars on that pitch. That sixth week, we played Cambridge United away at their place, under 18 fixture, and I made a mistake in the game and I got subbed off halfway in the half which is really tough to deal with. That's horrible for a goalie. Oh. Goalies don't get subbed. No, I, I know. And I couldn't understand why it happened at the time. But I think regardless of what the manager decided to do, because it's his decision, he's yeah. the manager, I didn't agree with it. 
but it happened. So I just had to deal with it and I didn't. So I remember walking off the pitch, I was really embarrassed. All the parents are kind of going, why is he being subbed off just because he made a mistake? But you deal with it. So I never recovered from that. And then my form just landslided downwards and the other goal he got in, I couldn't get back in the team after that. And I think you just go through moments, don't you? Yeah, but when your confidence is knocked to that level, it's hard to come back from them because obviously he's almost given you an out to go, I don't know if this is for me, if this is the way I'm going to get treated, you end up making, it's not, I'm not saying you make an excuse, but you, you end up going, is that really how it's going to be? And how do I change my own path then? And obviously you, you've ended up doing yours, but you've not then, instead of the, the other players mm. that are in football and are totally in football, they would have went, no, I've got a point to prove here. And they might have changed their own outcome in football by going, no, I'm going to speak to manager, tell him he's done that wrong and give me another opportunity. I wish I had that. I wish I had that mentality, but I was a victim. And I, I felt victimised because of the situation that I was in. Yeah. Uh, it being, being part-time and not being involved with the lads and then obviously getting pulled out of a match halfway through for a mistake. I yeah. felt victimised and I probably was. Yeah. But in those situations in football, you know what it's like because you've been through it. Things happen, shit happens. Mm. You have to respond to it. And it doesn't matter whose fault it was or how you feel about it or what your thoughts are about it. You have to just find a way to respond yep. and get the best out of a bad situation. And I think I never I never learned how to do that until that moment. And then on top of that, at that time, I was obviously ramping up with school. I had to balance my A-levels with that. And I just didn't have the capacity to deal with my troubles in football and then balance that with the pressure of having to, you know, study really hard for A-levels. Yep. And then naturally just went downhill. And I wish I had someone to kind of pick me up, a psychologist maybe, yep. to come and say, look, you can do this. Yep. You're going through a rough patch in football. But, you know, if you if you do these things and use these techniques, you're going to be all right. You're going to get back to where you need to get to. Do, do you feel like you accepted the mistakes and you accepted the being subbed off? Or do you feel like you dwelled on it? No, and I still think to this day I'm still very resentful of the yes. fact that happens. Yeah. And I've listen, I've worked with goalkeepers now in, in my private work where that's happened to them. And I understand their pain. I understand how embarrassing and demoralizing that can be. But like the advice that I never received myself, I always say to them, now it's your opportunity to go and show him why he's wrong. Yep. Go and show him why he made the wrong decision and why he never should have crossed you. You've got to be an absolute beast now. You've got to go into training every single day put a brave face on, smile, deal with the bullshit and come out the other side fighting. Mm. And if you do that, you'll get the reward you want because a lot changes in a week, a month, a year in football. Yeah, but uh, that's why I, I, again, I'll go back to me and make it more like relevant to me, but um, I had that acceptance. If I made a mistake or if I got dropped or if a t club told me I'm not good enough, I accept, I, I somehow I would shoulder it and go, okay, I don't really like what you've said. Mm. This is how I'm going to solve my own situation. And I like, even to this day, I accept situations now. I get obviously I've been dropped a few times in the last few years, and it, at the time you think like you're frustrated and, and you're angry. Within a couple of hours ago, right? Okay, how do I how do I move on from this? And I, I don't know. Obviously, each individual is their own, but that's one of the things I'll just go. Okay, right, I'll solve this. How do I solve it? And then I'll look for my path. But I think that came, like, like I said, I, I, uh, my job at nine years old was to play football as a goalkeeper. I had mm. that mindset of like, okay, if that's not going to work, how do I make that work? And like, I've used that my whole career and we'll go on to mistakes in a minute. But I think that just accepting as a goalkeeper, you're, 
you've got faults, you're going to make mistakes is, is the, the best and easiest thing, or not the easiest thing, it's the best thing you can learn from early. Did you have that mindset then when, when Ben came in? Because obviously, you know, you were thriving, the team was thriving at the point, you know, where you were top of the league, the expectation was you were going to get promoted. And then it almost, from the outside looking in, it, a spanner had been thrown in the works, yep. Ben was coming in, and the assumption was because of the level that he had played at, he was obviously going to be the number one. How, when he came in and you saw him in the dressing room and the conversation was had with you, what was that feeling like for you? Yeah, at first, obviously, uh, I make no bones about it, I wasn't happy, but I, I managed to straight away go, if this is what it takes to get us promoted, that's the bigger picture. Mm. And I, I managed to remove my own personality from it and my own ego and just go, what's the best for the team? Is this going to make us a better team? Is this going to make me better long term? Because I've got no like qualms in saying, if we got promoted, I got another year. So the bigger picture for me was a lot bigger than saying I'm angry for six games. Mm. So I managed to just go right. Okay, how 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 do I turn this into a positive? Let me be the best cheerleader to Ben I can be, and make sure we do get over the line. And if we didn't get over the line, didn't get promoted. I would tell you a whole different story right now, <laughs> but we did. So and that's how what football works. And that's how I managed to just go, right, how can I make this the, a situation that is good for me and not look at it as a negative? Uh, and that is a really, really healthy way of looking at it because the situation for you was never going to change, was it? He was always going to come in and he was always going to play. Yeah. But the response of, right, how can I get the best out of this situation now, which was support him to then get your extra year. Yeah. And I, I remember watching some of the games on TV. And I was thinking, I can't tell if he's pissed off or not. But then I remembered, you know, all of the stuff that I learned in my career. When you're not playing, you've got to be the best friend. You've yeah. got to make sure the balls are pumped. You've got to make sure you're out there on time. And you've got to make sure that they're prepared to go and deliver for the group. Because if I was playing, I would want the same thing done for me. Yeah. And it's that re like reciprocating it's respect. Not, even the fact that if, if you don't do things properly, if I didn't do things properly and I would have been crap in training the the goalkeeping uh uh community that we did have at the club with ben and rory watson and rob Layton and aiden davidson it would have been a bit sour and people would have treated me differently which is then you're treading on eggshells which mm. affects someone else's mindset or performance and then even on a match day i would have still been on the bench but if i'd have warmed fozzy up crap and then if he'd have had a crap game and i would have looked happy about it you just turn into a bitter person that you're not hoping for good outcomes. So, yeah, I, I, I managed to just go, tell you what, Foz is a great guy. Uh, he's, he's gone on to achieve in his career, something that I never did. He's also got an unbelievable like, presence outside of football. Why don't I just learn from him? Why don't I enjoy these aspects and say, right, bigger picture is I get another year. Uh, I've also got an opportunity to learn something as well. Like, let's just develop myself as a person. And how, did I learn a lot from Fozzie as a goalkeeper? No, not at all. I'm still the same goalkeeper. Did I learn a lot from him as a person? Probably not because it was six weeks. But did I take encouragement of how he helped me off the pitch? I was in like told me some key tips to, to make the podcast grow or to, about my media presence. Yeah. So these sort of things geared towards me going, just make the most of it. We always talk about situations and how when a situation isn't going your way, you will always perceive it to be a threat. And this happens not just in life, but in goalkeeping. You know, you're playing in a big stadium. The threat is making a mistake in front of all these people. 
but actually there's opportunity to be found in everything that you do. Like I'm a you, big believer in that, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's challenge versus threat mentality. If you adopt a threat mentality, you will always find the way to see the bad in a situation. But if you adopt a challenge mentality, you will find opportunities and strengths and solutions in the situation that you're in. So even in games where you make mistakes or in your circumstance, you know, competition coming in knowing that he was going to play, you found the way to find one or two small things that you could grab onto that kept you going through that period. And that's magnificent. And I, I think you probably enjoyed that experience much more doing it that way mm. as opposed to, as you mentioned, being the bitter person who would then bring the group down. Yeah, and even on that, like if, if I'd have been the bitter person, I, I know that I contractually had it in my contract that if I played a certain amount of games and we got promoted, I had another year, but they would have still tried to force me out if I was not that person. If I weren't the good guy around the dressing room, because even this year, Fozzie started the season. Uh, then I got back in the team because Fozzie retired. Uh, Arthur's then got in the team. Like football changes constantly. I'm back in the team now because of Arthur's injury. I've got no doubt that he'll probably get back in the team at some point. But I can only do the job to the best of my ability when I'm called upon. And if the manager tells me it's for 15 games of a season, I'll do it for 15 games. If he tells me he wants me to play 45 games this season, I'll play 45 games this season. He's the one that picks the team. Mm. Like it shouldn't affect me as a person. It might affect the way that uh, I control situations, but I have to adapt for, from those decisions. Mm. And I've always looked at it like that. I think it's got a lot easier as I've got towards the back end of my career because my acceptance levels are a lot, I'm a lot more tolerant. Uh, and, and I can then quickly, quicker turn that negative into a pot positive and I can just rub it off a lot more. But at the time, you, instantly you think, oh, this is going to tarnish me as a person. Uh, it, it's going to affect my performances. Uh, it's going to affect my, my moods, my, my, my own life. It's, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be more resentful. But you, you can't be like that. You can't dwell on it. You can't like, let it consume you. You have to just go, right, how do I move on straight away? And like I said earlier, I found it's just acceptance. You have to just accept the situation and then go, how do I improve from this? I, I always talk on, on acceptance. I always talk about um, never too high or never too low. So when you work with younger goalkeepers and they go through the highs and lows, which you've probably experienced in your career, their, their wavelength of highs and lows are probably like that massive. Yep. They'll go and have a brilliant game and they'll be up here somewhere and then they'll make a mistake and they'll be on the floor. And I think as goalkeepers get older, that margin then starts to shrink yep. and you, you suddenly just have like really small waves of highs and lows. Yep. So you have a great game, but you know not to celebrate it too much. Yeah. You make a mistake and it doesn't put you on the floor because you've got that acceptance and that understanding that next week could be a completely different story. And then that stops you from dropping off a cliff every single week when something goes yeah. wrong. Yeah. No, it's a comfort comfortability. You're like, you, you know where you are, you know where you should be. And like you said, you, you know not to get too high and you know not to get too low. Right, uh, let's crack on with our quiz, right? Yeah. Uh, Briefed you about it before, but yeah, goalie or no goalie. Oh, uh, God. So I've got five international goalkeepers and five rather made-up names from around the world. Right. Uh, you can head over to YouTube and follow our leaderboard, and it's one point for each correct answer. Okay. How do you think you're going to do on this? I'm going to struggle, mate. I'm going to be honest. Really? I think so. Actually, no, no. Positive psychology. Positive, positive mindset. Positive. I'm going to smash it. Say, <laughs> practice what you preach, please. <laughs> acceptance, acceptance. Yeah. Right, so, uh, yeah, 10 names, 10 points for up. Up for grabs. Okay. Number one. Antonio Rodriguez. Goalie. He is a goalie. Yes. 
He is Mexico and uh, Tijuana. Buzzing. Goalkeeper. Great start. Good start. Happy now. Yeah, yeah buzzing. One off the mark. Confidence is high. Number two, Richard Matrovic. Goalie. Said uh, that with confidence. Yeah, I know him. Worked with him at Barnet. Oh, nice you. Well yeah. played. Yeah. Latvia and Riga FC goalkeeper. Great guy. Number three, Erno Rubik. No goalie. He is not a goalkeeper. <gasps> Flying. He is the inventor of the Rubik's Cube, mate. Is he? Yeah. That's a, that's a rogue shout, that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Made up names. Erno Rubik. Obviously, once you hear it, it's Rubik's Cube. Number four, Alexander Schlager. No goalie. He is a goalie. <sighs> he is an Austria and Salzburg goalkeeper. Unreal. It's a great name. Schlager. Schlager. What a name. <laughs> no. That is a slurred name of what you order at the bar. That yeah. Red Bull kit suits him as well. Can I go, Schlager, please. <laughs> <laughs> Right, number five, Alex Borstein. No goalie. You're not a goalkeeper yes. because she is an American actress that plays Loe Griffin in Family Guy. Bloody hell. That's class. <laughs> yeah, she's a voiceover for uh, Loe. I'd love to know who sourced these names, by the way. Me? You've done all I this. I do all this. I do my own quiz. Mate, that is wicked. I never would have thought of getting someone like that up. Yeah. Right, number six, John Pemberton. No goalie. Not a goalkeeper, inventor of Coca-Cola. Really? Yes. Knew I knew that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> John Pemberton. Inventor Coca-Cola, mate. Must Ma be a millionaire. Or must have been a millionaire back then. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> right, number seven, Morgan Wallen. Goalie. Not a goalkeeper. That was a guess. Uh, one, of, guess. one of the world's most famous country singers right now. Really? Yes. I think I've heard some of his songs actually. Yeah, you would have done. He's got that like um that really like country voice country, as well, hasn't yeah, he? A bit smoky. Ameri yeah, yeah American. Yeah. Nice. Number eight, Tyrick Bodak. No goalie. He's a goalie. I'm struggling now. Carousel and Camber. Yeah. Goalie. Yeah, I was never gonna get that one. No, you weren't. <laughs> no. Again, it's all a trick. It's, they're meant to sound like they're all goalkeepers. Right, number nine. What are you on now? Five. Well, two more. Number nine, Albert. Just Albert. Just Albert. Oh, last two have been goalies. This has got to be no goalie. Are you going with the old psychology? Really? Yeah, I've got to be. You are correct. It is actually the sponsor, the teddy bear sponsor for Euro <laughs> 2024, Albert. Who was that goalie that played for AC Milan? He just had one name. Dida. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. it might be. I thought it'd throw you off just having one name. Yeah, it, I, it I did. I honestly thought it would. Right, and number 10, Marcin Bolker. Goalie. Goalie, yeah, well played. QPR goalie, no? No, Poland goalkeeper in Nice. Oh, that was a guess. There was a lad at QPR who was called Marcin as well. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, fair play, yeah. No, seven out of ten, you've got to be happy with that. Yeah, buzz. What was the, what's the record? Uh, ten. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Who got ten? Uh, Emily Ramsey. Uh, really? Everton goalie, yeah. She That's was good. Fast, she was really good. Good knowledge, that is. Yeah, I'm buzzing no. with that, though. Yeah, seven out of ten. Puts yeah. you right in the mix, mate. Yeah, well, love it. Head over to the leaderboard on YouTube, told you. <laughs> <laughs> Right, uh, I want to go uh, straight into like the mentality aspect. So dealing with mistakes. Uh, I've told you a couple of my analogies already. Uh, do you want me to tell them first and then you can tell how you tell your clients? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So uh, currently, uh, it's a lot easier for me because when I make a mistake now, I said to you before, uh, the first thing that I say, I block out all the noise around me. Uh, and the first thing I, I ask myself, I say, what do my kids call me? And they still call me dad, no matter what. If I make a mistake, if, if I do something good, if I do something bad, what do my kids call me? And that's my reset button. I have a, that's, 
a lot of keepers will touch the post or touch the crossbar or they'll, they'll, a lot of footballers will cross themselves. They'll do something, but it's a reset button, isn't it? Mine is just, what do my, dad, uh, what do my kids call me? So I found that one's worked for me now. But when I was younger, Alex Welsh, a previous guest, yeah. he, he gave me the best one ever. And I, I still tell people about it to this day. And it was, every time you make a mistake, you pick up a stone. Right? Imagine putting all those stones in your pocket. And if you don't get rid of those stones, how heavy do you feel? So early on when I was young, uh, like 14, 15, I, I would visually like un pretend to unzip a pocket on my jersey and throw away the stone because I knew I had to get rid of it. I couldn't carry it around in that game. I couldn't play heavier. And I found that like through, especially like in the early career, was the best way of me like resetting or just getting rid of that mistake. I love that. It's almost like you're getting rid of mental baggage because yeah. you're carrying it. A friend of mine uses this analogy. He talks about carrying a sandbag around with him when you when you, you, know, you have stress in life. And if you go through a match carrying the mistakes or the stones, you're making your life a million times harder. Imagine trying to dive in the top corner with stones in your pocket. Exactly, yeah. You just would, you'd never be able to get there. No. So you have to unload the stones and unload the baggage. And I, I love that. I wanted to ask you, though, that question about your kids. What, why do you ask that question to yourself? What do you feel that gives you in terms of a, you know, change in the thought thought process what does that give you it just makes me clear my mind again and, and uh i can literally brush a shot i make a mistake and then I, if, whatever it be small big whatever uh i can just go do my kids still call me dad and the answer is always yes so i'm like what's wrong then get on with it like your kids are still going to love you or like your family is still going to love you no matter what you do whether you make a mistake in life there's always going to be someone there that still supports you You've always got someone that's going to advocate what you're doing. So no matter who hates you, who dislikes you, who's booing you, don't actually matter because as long as you can just crack on and do the job to the best of your ability, that's the main thing. And uh, if you carry that baggage, if you don't have that reset button, you can't perform at the, the level that you should do. You know what? It's about perspective, isn't it? I think the key theme you're touching on there is, is perspective. And when we make mistakes, <clears throat> when we make mistakes in football, it seems like the whole world is coming crashing down on us. But when you put it into perspective like you have, you still have your kids, you still have your health. This is just a game. It's a sport which people take very, very seriously. But you as an individual are just playing a game. It's the context around the game and the pressure and the money and the mortgages and all of those factors that create that cauldron of pressure where we take it a lot more seriously than it actually needs to be taken. And I've always found this fascinating, but if you look at the guys at the very top, the majority of them are so blasé about the way they process the game. They're all so relaxed about it. And the goalkeepers that really thrive, whether it be in the Premier League or all the way down in you know step nine, step 10, wherever it is, the ones that thrive at every single level are the ones that approach the game with that element of freedom. They just go in and they say, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's not in my hands. No one intends to go into a game and make a mistake. And Tom Heaton was really, really excellent at this. And I'm sure he might have spoken about this when he came on. But he used to say when he was at Wickham and I had the chance to speak to him because we were both there together, um, he would always say that he prepared for mistakes well in advance of the game. In his head, he would tell himself, I might make a mistake today. I'm going to put that on the table. That's on the table. It could happen. So that when you go into a game and we talk about that cliff that you could fall off, yep. the cliff all of a sudden comes down to here as opposed to being up there. 
if you don't accept the idea of a mistake happening, you're setting yourself up for a massive fall. Yeah. But if you accept that it's on the table, all of a sudden it's just a quick jump down and a jump back up. Yeah, yeah. So I think the first thing that people get wrong when they talk about mistakes in goalkeeping is they they think that there's just some magic technique that you can do in a game which will help them. And there are things that can help in the moment. But to truly get comfortable with the idea of failure, it starts well in advance of performance. You've got to condition your brain and your belief system that when you walk out on the pitch, it's okay to fail. And it is okay to yeah. fail because we we're human beings. 100%, yeah. So that that's the first part for, for me anyway. I don't know what your thoughts are no, on that. Yeah. Making a mistake for a goalkeeper isn't a possibility. It's reality. Mm. You're going to make a mistake at some point. You, you, like you said, we're only human. Goalkeeper... Like, I, I like to always say goalkeepers are villains in football. <laughs> no one ever goes to football to watch nil-nil and both goalkeepers be unbelievable. No one does. So you're almost wanting goalkeepers to make mistakes before the game's even kicked off because you want goals. So as a goalkeeper, it's more realistic to say, we're going to make mistakes. How do we adjust and adapt from that? How do we then perform to the level that we should do after that? 100%. It's... It's about the response. We always talk about what's the situation. The situation is you've made a mistake. What's the response? Okay, well, there's 80 minutes left in the game. I have the power now to go and influence that 80, 80% left or 80 minutes left in the game. I have the power. It's in my control. Mistakes are uncontrollable. There could be a deflection. It could take a nick. You know, there's so many uncontrollable factors in football that goalkeepers have to deal with. Why are you carrying that baggage around with you? Yeah. Let it go. Mm. Focus on the next thing. And I always talk about um, having a response, situation response. What is your response? And the way that I coach goalkeepers to deal with mistakes is that we will discuss their best ever game. So I'll do it with you now. So if you go in your head, in your catalogue of hundreds of games, and you had to pick one game where you were absolutely unbelievable, have you got a game in mind? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, uh, League Cup uh, against West Ham away in yeah, for Sheffield Park. United. Uh, it was at Upton Park, yeah. Unreal. I made a save in the second half, a deflection that Stuart Downing shot. It deflected over my head and somehow I'd done it. You know one of them, if you don't buy a ticket for the raffle, you can't win a prize? Yeah. I just went for it and somehow it hit me on the hand and went over. I don't know, I shouldn't have saved it. But everyone's gone, oh my God. Yeah, it was an unbelievable save. And we won on penalties that night. So yeah, probably that one. So if you had to pick now, thinking back to that game in your head, if you had to pick three action words that best describe you in that game that you can control, what three action words would they be? Um, instinctive mm -hmm. um, reactive mm -hmm. and it's more than a, more than a word uh, just desire I would say a desire to, to get through uh, win at all costs perfect that's your response next time you make a mistake in the game instinctive reactive desire yeah. say those words to yourself because when you make a mistake, your attention focuses on what's just happened in the past. But what you want your brain to focus on are the steps and the processes that allow you to be successful. So when you are at your best, like in that game, those are the three things that you're unconsciously demonstrating on the pitch. Yeah. You have desire to win. You have desire to keep the ball out of the net. Yeah. You're instinctive in the way you make decisions. You're reactive to whatever happens in front of you. And you might even say proactive yep. in terms of the way the game's gone now in terms of high starting positions yep. and stuff. And you can set up a mantra, a response mantra to when bad situations happen. 
And that's literally a technique that I will do with goalkeepers. I'll sit with them and say, what's your best game like? What are your three action words? Right, next time you're in training, next time you're out in a game, go and say those three words to yourself. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a guru or, you know, I'm Jesus and, you know, this yeah. is the gospel, but it works for the majority of people because it takes the focus away from things that you don't need to be thinking about. And the way that I want people to think about the mind is that it's a filter. You've got a funnel system. The more information you put into the filter, it has to produce out something. So why would you not flood the filter with loads of great information? And the great information is those three words. Say them over and over again. When the ball's up the other end of the pitch, there's your chance. What are my three words? Say them to myself. And then in between, you can have those reset behaviours. Throwing the stones out the pocket. Yep. Joe Hart does the old squeeze yep. of the gloves. I've seen goalkeepers restrap their gloves. Yep. And what I normally recommend to, to younger goalkeepers that I work with kind of academy level or downwards, you can have like a little post-it note which you sellotape onto your wrist strap with the words on there or you can write them on your glove. David James used to write on his gloves. He used to actually write words on his gloves and read them out. Tony Warner did the same, I think. Really? And they'd, let, like, they'd have key words just written on their fingers. It's just trigger points. Yeah. It's just things to not take your mind off the game, but to redirect your attention away from negativity onto things that you need to focus on. Because the biggest source of, of performance breakdown in, in terms of pressure is either when you get distracted or when your brain pays attention to the wrong things. But do you... On the Contradicting that, right? Yep. Do you think by saying those words, I'm distracting away from what I'm trying to do? Do you think I'm losing attention by doing that? Because I would almost say that if I'm thinking about those three words, I'm I'm not concentrating on the job in hand. Mm. But you don't necessarily need, and I completely understand where you're coming from. But when you're playing in a game, you're not you're concentrating, but you're not concentrating. When you're in performance mode, you're playing in the unconscious mind. We'd like to hope. Professional goalkeepers like yourself who've got loads of experience very rarely will use what we call conscious processing where they actually think about what they're doing. And the best way I can describe this to people is when you're going for your driving test or when you're starting to learn to drive, sorry, you think about where the clutch is, you think about the gear shift, you think about the mirrors, you think about everything. Yeah. Now if I asked you, how do you drive a car? You just get in the car in and the you car drive. drive yeah. So you've got the, the manual brain yep. and the automatic brain. So when you're in performance mode, you're not actually thinking about the game, yeah. which is why the three words allow you to just direct focus back onto what you need to. That, that would be my argument. Yeah. But again, the mind is a complex thing and we still barely understand how it works. Yeah. But what we do know is that attention can shift in different places at different times. So it's always good to have a focus when you're performing. Right, and uh, obviously all goalkeepers are slightly different. Like yes. I said to you before, uh, I don't ever feel like feel like it would have benefited me anyway because of my mindset was so different anyway. Mm. And obviously there are a lot of goalkeepers that are like me, but there, there are some that are not. It's harder coming through now, the system. Do you feel like that getting in earlier and speaking to them and putting these processes in place would benefit goalkeepers? But who needs a psychologist? I think everybody. And I'm not saying that to self-promote the industry. I'm really not. I'm saying it from personal experience now, from my heart. Being proactive with this stuff is always beneficial. You think about, you know, technical, tactical and physical things that you put in into goalkeeper training from a young age. Yeah. You know, plyometrics, basic hand shapes, footwork, understanding space on the pitch. You train all of that stuff from under nines. Why would you neglect the mental side of the game? Why would you not teach a goalkeeper under nines 
all the way through to under 16s or 18s, how to deal with mistakes. It's better that they have tailored tools for different age groups going through the system so that they can deal with those moments so that when they get to their debut and they're playing at, I don't know, Old Trafford, that was always my dream, how to deal with a mistake. How are you going to cope when you walk out onto that pitch and you make a mistake and everyone's laughing at you? How are you going to cope with that if you haven't proactively put the tools in place? Yeah. And so, like we had the conversation before about psychology being really science-based. It doesn't have to be. It, depending on the type of person that you work with, it can be kept really, really basic and abstract yeah. so that people can understand it. And I think that's the challenge for us as psychologists is to really connect with the people that we work with. What's a way that I can talk that you are going to understand? Yeah. And that's not a power thing or an education thing. That's me being an effective practitioner. Yeah. I want to make sure that the information I give you will have a lasting impact from the time you enter the game to the time that you leave the game and beyond. You're just trying to work out what makes you tick and, and, and then to manipulate the good bits and the bad bits of like make that a positive, make that a positive and turn that negative around. And you're just trying to find out those little key bits of information of like, it's not a weakness, but you're trying to find out those, those key bits of information that make me w who I am. Absolutely. And it's not a problem-solving process all the time. Generally, people come because they want to solve problems. Yep. Actually, psychology can be used to pro be proactive or teach people how to harness their strengths. And I always joke with the people that I work with, because in session one, I'll put a picture up on... We, we normally share um, a screen if we're doing it on Zoom or if we're in person, I'll show them the picture. But it's a picture of like a gentleman with like glasses on he's got his notebook there and he's got his leg crossed over he's going so tell me about all the problems in your life and the lady's lying on the sofa you know being analyzed as you will and i'm like that is so far from what i do anyway that is it's, it's, it's a joke yeah that's what people perceive psychology to be though and it's not like that yeah most of the days when i'm working at clubs i'm out on the grass with the boys go and watch the goalie sessions sometimes i'll get involved in the two touch like it's very very interactive and hands-on yeah it doesn't have to be an us versus them mentality. Do you find that then a footballer will respond differently in a group as compared to an individual? Because obviously you, you, you come into a dressing room and speak in front of 30 people, you're going to lose 28 of those people, mm -hmm. aren't you? That, and that's natural because of peer pressure. But when you speak to someone one-on-one, -on -one, it's a lot easier to pick up on traits and you're easier to find out the, their personality and what will make them tick. Yeah, you're right. And when you have those one-to-one -one conversations, people tend to be more comfortable because they're not in the group setting. You've got to remember that when you're in the group setting... Prying eyes and listening ears. Right. Why is he talking to him? He must have a problem. He's the problem doctor. He's doc. They, sometimes people call, call us doc. Yeah. I, we're not doctors, all of us. Some of us are, some of us aren't. I'm not. I would never want to be called doc. Yeah. I'm just one of the lads. So whenever I work with players or I'm embedded in environments... It's about having a chat at lunch. Yeah. How are you getting on? What do you think about the game on the weekend? You know, what do you think about, you know, that goal that you conceded or, you know, the mistake that you made? Or what do you think about that great thing that you did? You yeah. know, let's talk about the good stuff as well. And if you build good relationships with people and you find a way to hit them on that level, when you're in those group settings and you're delivering group work, you tend to get a bit of a different response from people because yeah. you're at the same level then. They're all trying to make each other laugh, aren't they? Yeah. And you can join in on that. Yeah. You could be like, lads, listen, I know we want to get out of here. You know, it's been a long day. Yeah. Gaffer's had you out on the training pitch for a while. Let's do quick 10 minutes and I'll get you home. Lads are buzzing because they're like, okay, this guy gets it. And, you know, this is not just me. This is not the advice that I've given myself. Yeah, this no. is just from experience 
of, of working with psychologists in the past. You want them to know that they understand what you're going through. And the, the worst and the best advice has always been advice that I felt I could, you know, relate to myself. And I'm sure, you know, your it, experience it, as well. It's the easiest way to coach, isn't it? It's like, this is how I did it, but I'm not saying this is the right way for you, but this is a way of doing it. Try it. If it doesn't work, try a different way and just keep on evolving. That's why I think coaches now carry the biggest baton for psychology. Like the coach should be a psychologist, not go through the training, but work with the psychologist so you have their, some of their knowledge because your goalie coach is with you every single day. He knows you better than I will ever know you. What makes you tick, what, makes you, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. I'm better off empowering him with that knowledge to help you than us doing a block of three sessions, yep. let's just say. We can get great outcomes from the three sessions, but the lasting impact, it's also good that if I work with him as well. Yeah, it's also harder for me and you in a classroom to put that on a football pitch, where if that comes from your coach or your goalie coach, and they tell you on a football pitch, it's real world situations then, mm. because you're, you're out there doing it. And that's a total different aspect, which I, I totally get that that would make a lot of sense. It's got to have, it's got to have an element of, of fun to it as well. This is serious stuff we're talking about. We're talking about people's careers here. People, people live off the, the, the discussions that we're having. So there's got to be fun to it. You've got to make it enjoyable. You know, ah, oh, did you go out on the weekend? You know, did you have a few drinks? Because, you know, sometimes people go out and have a few drinks. Oh, what'd you get up to? You know, ah, oh, I saw that nice aftershave in, in Selfridges. You know, it smells really good. How much did it cost? Just small talk like that. Yeah. And you can build those great relationships with people, which then allow the psychology to drive in. Yeah. If you just dive straight in with the psychology, from my experience, yeah. you lose them straight away. Yeah, you're, you're making them comfortable. Yeah, it's, it's a friendship. Yeah. I, I always view the way that I work with people as a friendship. So like, even when I walked into the building here today, I've seen you all over social media and I listen to your stuff. So I'm like, Mark's a great guy. I know when I come in here, I'm going to have a great time with yeah. him. And it's like we had that relationship before we even walked in. But when you're in football, there's this like guard that everyone puts up and it's about finding ways to get past that guard and get into people. But then that's where I find in my uh, that goalkeepers are different. We, we can see someone as competition, but we can be their friend. Mm -hmm. uh, the outfielders don't do that. They're, I think that they struggle to cope with competition because they still get opportunities and you still get like that little... Uh, you're getting drip fed. You're like, oh, I might not be starting today, but I might come on for 20 minutes. And you, you false hope. Where a goalkeeper, we're like, we're on the bench today. <laughs> and you sit back and you relax and you go, I'm not getting in until he's injured or makes a mistake. So like our mindset of going, I've been competing against him, but the manager's gone with him. I can remove myself from that situation. But the outfielders, I feel like that they're the ones that are like hanging on a little bit because they're not used to that feeling of like, just going to get taken away from you in an instant. Because you, you're constantly going... Well, if he gets injured or I could come on and I could go and play on my right back, I could come and play left back. And you're still hanging in there. And that's why outfield players have more mood fluctuation. So like you look at them around the training building, if they're in and out of the team, they're always having the, the carrot dangled. Yep. With goalkeepers, if you know you're the number two, it's like, cool, this is the situation I'm in. Yep. I need to work hard. I need to work my bollocks off. But be patient. But be patient. And your time always comes. I'm a firm believer in your time always comes, whether it's a month, or a season, you will have a chance to show what you can do. Yeah. And I literally, I had um, a goalkeeper that I worked with. He's out in Ireland at the moment. He, um, he hasn't been in the team. He got dropped for one bad game. Played a whole season before, got dropped for one bad game. And he texts me when I was on the way here. He goes, 
They lost 3-0 on the weekend. I'm back in next week. And he goes, funny how quick a week in football can go. I said, there you go. Mm. I said to him, your chance is coming. Just do keep doing the right things. Be professional. Bite the bullet. Good things will happen. Yeah. And it's a patience game. Yeah. But we want everything so immediate in life as human beings. And that's where the emotions start to play and the thoughts just don't become logical anymore. Is that more on jealousy? I think it's ego. Yeah. I think it's ego. We, we have damaged egos as, as, as football people because we think that we deserve to be playing all the time. Yeah. And when you get told you're not going to be playing, all of a sudden you start to question your, your self-worth. You know, you question your value, your yeah. purpose. Makes sense. Yeah. And when those questions come about, the whole thing just, the, the tower collapses. So I think, I think it's all to do with ego. But that's why I love working with the goalkeepers because goalkeepers have this really unique bond with one another and this really unique mindset where everyone's in it together, but everyone's still competing. And you know it from experience. I mean, you could probably mention 10 or 15 different examples off the top of your head of that camaraderie and that banter and the stories that you get from the goalie group. Yep. For me, that's the best part about being a goalkeeper. That group being stuck together, banter flying in the group chat, laughs out on the pitch, doing stupid stuff where outfit players are going, what the hell are they doing they, over they there? They don't understand it. They don't, but you know, when you're playing two touch and someone's getting ear flicks or red ass, yeah. that's that's the funniest thing ever. It is, yeah. I it's agree. way more funny than what the outfield players are doing over there. Yeah. And that's what I love about the goalkeeping group, the yeah. psychology and the camaraderie behind it. You've kind of answered my final question here, right? But uh so I always ask everyone now, uh, what does the goalkeepers union mean to you? You've mm. kind of answered it in a nutshell there, but yeah, if you just want to take that a little bit more, yeah. because obviously we are such a unique group. I think, I think that word that you've just mentioned there summarizes what it means to me, uniqueness. I think I mentioned to you when I started out as a goalkeeper, that feeling of being unique really sat nicely with me. And I think everyone who's a goalkeeper believes that they are unique in some way. And that idea of being the only person in your team who truly understands what you're going through. It's a scary place to be, but it's also a powerful place to be. You are the expert on the pitch in your position. There's only two of you, one on each team. And even though you don't know the guy at the other end, you both share that commonality of being in the same thing, going through the same conditions, playing through the same conditions and riding the waves of the game. And I always say that goalkeepers have the utmost influence on the entire storyline of the game. It's that old adage, right? Striker misses a goal, game can end in a draw. Goalkeeper makes a mistake, could cost you three points. Yep. And you are riding that, that edge of failure the entire game. And that adrenaline rush and that responsibility that you have, I think that's where we as goalkeepers get our fix. That's yep. where our dopamine rush comes from. Yep. You know, That cross that comes in, which you half get a nick on it. Right, the ball's gone over my head. I have no idea where it is. Please don't be in the net. It's like, it's like that, you isn't it? that feeling, yeah, all the time, yeah. That's what it means to me. Yeah. It's just being unique and the adrenaline rush. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, love that. Great answer, that. Uh, Kaval, it's been unbelievable having you on. Uh, I feel like I've learned a lot. I, I'm definitely sure my audience would have done too. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thanks very much for listening to me talk, mate. <laughs> no, 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 honestly, I've loved it. Uh, obviously, picking your brains and obviously... Uh, putting across my perspective and trying to he help you almost as well. I, I find that like uh, that's what the goalkeepers we all do is we all try and develop each other. We are the, the worst of rivals and the best of friends. It's, it's amazing how we can all get along so well but also strive for that one place and I feel like that's what I love about the goalie community. It, uh, the community is just that we're all in it together but we've got such an understanding of each other. 
100%. No, I'm really grateful for you having me on, mate. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. So, uh, everyone, make sure you check out Caval's uh, podcast as well, The Goalkeeper Mindset. Loads of great stuff on there. Loads of great interviews as well, especially some of the friends that I've had on. Uh, it's an unbelievable podcast. Make sure you go and listen to it. Uh, this has been the Yours Mine Away podcast with me, Mark Howard. Uh, I need to say thank you to our sponsors, Mito Red Light and also Forge Irish Stout. Thanks, guys. You really do help us grow. Uh, make sure you follow, like, and subscribe. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. What a save from Mark Howard. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.